Well, hello and welcome to this special episode of A Photographic Life. This is Catching Spirit in a Box. Photography and the Dead. Spirit photography began at 258 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts in March 1861 with the photographer William Howard Mumler. A detailed account of his activities is available in The Personal Experiences of William H. Mumler in Spirit Photography, written by himself and published in 1875. It is an account of Mumler's beginnings as a medium photographer and of the following 14 years of praise and condemnation, wealth and poverty, success and failure. Mumler's career and lifestyle was changed by a seemingly innocent and innocuous event. He was employed as head engraver at the leading Boston firm of jewellers Bigelow Brothers and Kennard, where he had a reputation as an honest and trustworthy person. He was not at all interested in spiritualism, but he was somewhat interested in photography and numbered several professionals among his acquaintances. One day in March 1861, Mumler was in a friend's studio and tried to take a picture of himself by focusing the camera on an empty chair and springing into position after uncapping the lens. After development, the image revealed an extraneous figure, later called an extra. Sitting in the chair, a young girl whose figure faded away towards her feet. Mumler was astonished. He showed the plate to his photographer friend, who explained that the image was probably made on an old sheet of glass, which was insufficiently cleaned, so that the previous negative was redeveloped to produce a hazy outline, along with the more recent exposure. This theory, said Mumler, was at the time, with my limited knowledge of photography, acceptable. At this stage, Mumler considered the image a mere novelty. A short time later, Mumler was visited by a spiritualist, as he recalled... Being of a jovial disposition, always ready for a joke, I concluded to have a little fun, as I thought, at his expense. Mumbler showed his visitor the print, saying, This picture was taken by myself when there was no visible person present but myself. It was true enough, but the unclean plate explanation was withheld. The visitor was duly impressed. But the joke backfired. A week later, Mumler received a copy of The Herald and Progress, a newspaper published in New York by Andrew Jackson Davis, which contained a long description of the picture with Mumler's name and statement. (laughs) 
a local Boston spiritualist journal, The Banner of Light, reprinted the New York article and in addition gave the address of the studio in which the picture had been made. Mumler decided to visit the studio and inform the owner of the mischief I had done. It was too late. The reception room was full of people anxious to see the first spirit photograph. The receptionist, who later became Mrs Mumler, introduced him as the photographer. Even though Mumler insisted that photography was not his business and that the image had a physical explanation, he was so pressed with requests for portraits that he reluctantly acquiesced. Intending to put a stop to all the fuss, he took two of the gentlemen to the studio and made a number of portraits. One of them was an extraneous image. Mumler wrote, I hardly knew what to say or how to act. The result of the last sitting was so entirely different from what I expected that I was fairly bewildered. The demand for portraits by the people waiting in the reception room was now incessant and relentless. Mumler agreed to take portraits for two hours a day, hoping that he could take this amount of time from his jewellery duties. Those present immediately booked their names for a sitting, enough to keep Mumler employed for the next three months. He soon found it necessary to devote himself full-time to spirit photography. His autobiography gives accounts of over 50 prominent named individuals, all who were satisfied with his results. One of these individuals who had a special ability to expose any fraudulent activity during the photographic process was Alexander Black. Black was a long-established professional with a national reputation who regularly contributed articles to the Philadelphia photographer and authored the textbook for amateurs, Photography, Indoors and Out. Initially, Black sent one of his pupils, Horace Weston, to Mumler's studio with instructions to witness the whole process. Weston received a spirit image of his father. Reporting to Black and his staff, Weston told them of the extra and they shouted with laughter, declaring that I had been deceived. Black decided to investigate personally and sent Weston back to Mumler with a message. If Black could witness the whole operation and he received a spirit image, he would give Mumler $50. Mumler agreed. Black arrived quickly and the camera to be used was pointed out to him. It was thoroughly checked. Next, Black examined the sheet of glass and ascertained that it was perfectly clean. From then on, Black did not let the glass out of his sight, examining the chemicals, the tools and the plate holder and carrying the sensitised plate in its holder out of the darkroom. He even walked backwards to the posing chair so that it would not lose sight of the plate holder, even for a second. After the exposure, Black carried the plate holder back to the darkroom and again examined the chemical baths and equipment. He said, You are not smart enough to put anything on that negative without my detecting it. Mumler agreed, very much aware that he was the novice photographer in the presence of an internationally famous figure. 
as Black watched the development, an extra gradually appeared. It was a man leaning his arm on Black's shoulders. Mumler refused to accept payment, as Mumler wrote, Now, here is a plain statement of facts that cannot be successfully contradicted, as I have sufficient evidence to prove the statement in a court of law, if necessary. Success followed success, as investigator followed investigator. Henry T. Child, a doctor from Philadelphia, visited Boston expressly to investigate the phenomena. Before leaving Philadelphia, he had a crash course in photographic manipulations from a well-known professional. He also brought with him his own glass plates, diamond engraved with intricate characters in order to eliminate the possibility of substitute plates. He witnessed the entire portrait and processing procedure twice and received spirit forms on both plates. In spite of these satisfied customers, public opinion was against Mumler. He was denounced in the press and threatened with arrest. Eventually, spirit photography became unpopular and he found it necessary to close his business in the hostile atmosphere of Boston. Even spiritualists turned against him when it was discovered that he had obtained from time to time the portrait extras of people still alive. This was scandalous and a mockery of the spiritualist idea that the materialisations and extras were messengers of the existence of life beyond death. Mumler decided to move to New York in 1868. <laughs> Initially, he had great difficulty in finding a studio. His reputation as trickster had preceded him. He was reaching desperation when he was given a trial by W.W. Silver, owner of a portrait photography business at 630 Broadway. Ironically, the sitter's name was Mr. Tricky. An extra was produced and the previously sceptical Silver was impressed. He, too, sat for a portrait in his own studio, in front of his own camera, and all the operations being conducted under his careful scrutiny and with his own chemicals. The spirit of his mother appeared in the image. Mumbler had a studio in which to work. Quickly, his business prospered, so much so that within a few months, Mumler was able to buy out Silver and became the sole owner and proprietor of the studio. However, hardly had this change taken place than Mumler was arrested by order of the mayor of New York. This was a serious matter, as the mayor had a reputation for harshness, to whom a person arrested was as good as a prisoner convicted. Fortunately, Mumler was tried before a judge with a singular reputation for fairness and defended by an eloquent attorney, John D. Townsend. was packed for the duration of the case, which lasted for ten days. 
Many prominent businessmen as well as professional photographers spoke in defence of Mumler, declaring that they had witnessed the entire operation, which had often taken place with cameras, equipment, plates and chemicals supplied by themselves and were convinced of the genuineness of Mumler's claims. One of his most active supporters was an ex-judge, John W. Edmonds, who had received two spirit images, one of his own mother, from the photographer and was known as one of the most prominent advocates of spiritualism in America. He had previously written of his beliefs in a small volume entitled An Appeal to the Public on Spiritualism. Another witness was David A. Hopkins, a manufacturer of railroad machinery who impressed everybody with confidence in his honesty and sincerity, as well as intellectual ability. He had been an enthusiastic photographer for 20 years, and he was not a spiritualist. But he had visited Mumler, thinking all the while that he was a fraud, yet left the studio convinced of the genuineness of Mumler's ability. Samuel R. Fansaw, a miniature and portrait painter for 35 years, was entirely sceptical, but ended up in the witness box in defence of the accused. The great showman P.T. Barnum verified that he had witnessed the whole procedure and was satisfied that no trickery had taken place. Prominent photographers who swore to Mumler's innocence included W. Silver, from whom Mumler had bought the studio. William F. Kidney, assistant to W. L. Slee of Poughkeepsie, in whose studio Mumler produced extras with unfamiliar equipment and chemicals, and Jeremiah Gurney. Gurney was a particularly impressive witness. He was one of the most respectable photographers in New York, whose work was internationally admired and used as a touchstone of photographic quality. Gurney testified, I have been a photographer for 28 years. I witnessed Mumler's process. I went to scrutinise everything and could find nothing which savoured of fraud or trickery. Between 20 and 30 expert witnesses had been willing to publicly state in a court of law that Mumler was not a fraud. The judge concluded that the prosecution had not proved its case, even though he privately harboured the suspicion that Mumler had resorted to deception. The prisoner was honourably acquitted. However, Mumler's troubles were not over. The gallery had been leased in his absence, his money was gone, and he did not have the capital to start another studio. He returned to Boston and began making spirit photographs at his home. But his subsequent career was dogged by criticism, accusations of fraud, money problems and ill health. He died in 1894. The trial of William H. Mumler in 1869 aroused a storm of controversy in the photographic press. Every conceivable explanation for the extraneous images was offered except one, that Mumler might be genuine. Mumler's own reputation was viciously attacked. He was a charlatan and his claims humbug, who was swindling the gullible 
and sorrowing widows in decorous mourning garb with his cheap trickery. The magazines offered ways in which the unscrupulous could duplicate spirit images by photographic means. Only a courageous few correspondents tentatively suggested the possibility that spirits may indeed be photographed. At every mention of the word spirit, the correspondence columns were jammed with denunciations, accusations and wild speculations. No other single topic in photography for the remainder of the century spawned such interest or so many words. In this supercharged atmosphere of antagonism towards spirit photography, it is no wonder that serious photographers were reluctant to experiment in this direction, or even to consider that it might be a topic for objective study. As one writer stated, everyone knows that spirits only come out in the dark, hence any photograph of a spirit must be fraudulent. This has been a photographic-like special production with music supplied by Laura Ritchie and all text based upon the research of Bill J. As we say at the end of every episode, take care. <laughs>